So a few weeks ago, we started a series called Mission Possible. We, we stated that Crosspoint Church is doing a, uh, has a very doable, God-given mission, right? And we're excited to, at least I am, I'm excited to see what God is going to do through us this year as we make the mission that he has given us a reality by obeying Jesus Christ. Amen. Our mission statement says we exist to lead people to the what? The cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. Let's say that together. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. Now listen, the first week we dissected that first part of the mission statement, we exist to lead. We were able to reveal and to explain a little bit about our five core values at Cross Point Church. And again, just to recap, first, we said one that you all know, I, I believe, we said that together we're Together we're better. Second, we saw that how every person matters. Third, we stated that we're blessed to be a? Fourth, we admitted that you and I are saved to serve. And fifth, we were challenged. You were challenged. I was challenged. This year, 2023, each one reach one. The second week, we focused on the cross, right? The cross, because the cross is the point cross point. Some of you will get that. The cross is the point. We, and listen, as we unpack that phrase, leading people to the cross uh, for our mission statement, we said that if people are going to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, they cannot be confused about the meaning of the cross. And we went on to give you examples of how people are confused and, and people wear it as decorations and tattoos and, and, and necklaces and, and uh, you know earrings, all of that stuff, and not recognizing that there was a great sacrifice sacrifice for their very lives that happened where at the cross so listen in order to lead people to the cross we need to be able to explain like we said what happened at the cross and and how it applies to us in 2023 first corinthians 118 says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction but we, we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. It is the very power of God. What's the power of God? The cross. Amen? Right there, our founding verse shows us that there are two types of people in the world. Like we said, there are those who are headed for destruction and there, there are those who are being saved. And listen, the difference between those two types of people really boils down to an understanding of the meaning of the cross. We said that knowing what the cross is all about will make a difference in their lives. And we, you and I, have a God-given mission to lead them there to the foot of the cross. So we tried to have some fun a couple of weeks ago with what I called a, a few million dollar words, right? In fact, we looked at four big words to help us better understand the meaning of the cross. First, we looked at substitution, substitution. We know that on the, on the cross, Jesus became your substitute and my substitute. We stated that he took our punishment, the punishment for our sins on the cross. He was our substitute. So when he died for our sins, his sinless life was substituted for our very dark and wretched and sinful one. How many of you know that nobody here deserves the mercy and the grace of God like was given to us? 
And even if this morning you think you're all good and all that, you're not. You're not. Without Jesus, we're lost. We're all at the, at the same level plateau at the foot of the cross. We, you and I, we are sinners saved by grace. And whether you think you've got it all together or you're an addict and struggling with some area of your life, we all stand equal at the foot of the cross. The cross is the great equalizer. Thank God for the substitution that Jesus made for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, listen to this, God made him who had no sin, him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, when God sees you this morning, you are his righteousness. You are perfect. And for one moment in time, Jesus said, throw their sin upon me. So that God the Father had to turn his face away from his own son, Jesus, for a moment because of what Jesus did for you. That's grace. That's grace. Hallelujah. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is substitution. The second thing we talked about is we, we looked at propitiation. This is one of the ones we had fun with. We said that some of you men, you know how, what it is to go shopping for some propitiation. We said that propitiation referred to giving something up in order to, to giving something up in order to turn away wrath or anger or something that was given to bring relief. We know for a fact from the scriptures that Jesus offered up his life, his very life, as propitiation to keep God's wrath away from us. And so that on the cross, Christ literally is our propitiation. 1 John 2, 2 says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice. And that phrase there literally means he is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for, but, but also for the sins of the whole world. The third million dollar word we looked at was redemption. Redemption, we said that that word redeem means to buy, to, to buy something back that you once possessed. In biblical times, it was used to describe a, a slave who was freed from slavery by someone who could pay the price. The slave, in their condition, they would have a certain debt that was called a ransom, we said, and they owed their master that ransom. And if a friend or a family member could pay the debt that the slave owed, he could then, and only then, could he be set free or he'd be redeemed. Again, his ransom was paid and he could walk away a free man and redemption is what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Jesus came and he paid the debt that you owed, that I owed to God in order to redeem us from death. His pure and sinless life provided the perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The fourth word we looked at was, we looked at grace. Say grace this morning. Grace. We said that grace might not look like a very big word. It's only uh, five letters there. But because grace is the undeserved favor of God. It is very big, amen? The cross is all about God's amazing grace and we know that Jesus Christ is the one that gives grace value. And so listen, we don't deserve to have Jesus. We don't deserve to have the 
perfect and sinless Son of God to die in our place, but that's grace. In fact, all sin deserves eternal punishment according to the law. If it were not for what Jesus did on that cross, if it were not for grace, you and I this morning would be headed to a devil's hell. And I know that's not popular, but it's the truth. Without Christ in your life, you're headed for a devil's hell. And I call it a devil's hell because it was never created for you. It was never created for you. The devil's got people convinced that's, that hell is going to be a place of fun and, and we're just going to do whatever we want and there's going to be no restrictions and no, no limitations. Oh, how wrong, how wrong people are to think that, that one day they're going to be totally separated from God. One day there's going to be the wrath of God poured out upon them and it will never end. And so there will be fire and brimstone forever and ever and ever and anguish will never end in that eternity God forbid that you go there God forbid and yet all sin deserves eternal punishment according to God's law yet instead because of God's grace we have received mercy instead mercy is literally getting what you do not deserve Romans 6 23 says it like this for the wages of sin is but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So praise God. Praise God. Jesus was not about to let us take the punishment for our sin, which we deserved. He loved us so much that he decided to leave the throne room of heaven. He came down. He came into this world to offer us grace. And through grace, he offered you mercy. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Say grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Listen, I was a former religious person. I remember what it was like to think that if I did more good than bad, that God would accept me. And if I had continued to believe that lie, I would still be headed on a highway to hell right now. But the reality is your good could never outweigh your bad. Even if you thought you never did one bad thing in your life, your good could never outweigh your bad because sin is upon you. From the very beginning, sin was upon us and it was according to God's grace. It was according to, to God's plan before time that he was going to save you, that he was going to make a way for you that you could not make for yourself. Hallelujah. Our mission statement again says we exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. Listen, this is our mission possible this morning. We, we, we've looked at we exist to lead people. We've looked at leading people to the cross so far. As we wrap up our series today with this last message for Mission Possible, I want us to talk about Jesus at the center. Say center. Jesus at the center. Listen, when I think about Jesus becoming the center of my life, there are many thoughts that come into my mind this morning. I think of my own journey as a Christian and how imperfect that journey has been along the way. Times when I have failed God, times when my behavior has not been that which has glorified God. I think of times when people have invested in my life through times of growth, but I also, again, remember times of failure. Anybody ever fail here? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> Hallelujah. I remember many, many times of failure. See, nobody's perfect. 
And that certainly applies to us as followers of Christ. But, but if we, you and I, are supposed to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives, what exactly does that look like? Jesus being at the center, what does that look like? And how do you and I know if we're doing a good job leading them there so that Jesus is the center of their lives? I want to look at our text this morning. Let's go there. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. The Bible says, beginning at verse 1, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off. He does what? He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more. Man, oh man, we're going to come into some revelation this morning. God has given me something on this that I hope that you'll take. Verse 3, you have already been pruned, pruned and uh, purified by the message I have given you. Not prunes, not prune juice. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Another translation says, for a branch, listen, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot, say cannot. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Again, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Verse 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But, say but. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are then my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as my Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey, say obey. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Listen, what we just read here, Jesus describes the Christian life as a, a branch that is bearing fruit or being fruitful. This description is not unique this morning. You see, the New Testament is consistently describing godliness as fruitfulness. Here in John 15, we see a clear explanation of the process for spiritual fruit bearing. And for the purpose of this message today, if Jesus is truly at the center of your life, if Jesus is going to be at the center of those lives that you are leading to the cross, that life has got to bear fruit. That's actually how you can tell that Jesus is at the center. Fruit bearing. Again, in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. And this is actually uh, the last of Jesus' seven famous self-descriptive I am statements. If you look in the scriptures, there are several times, seven times, where he says, I am this. I am the bread of life. I am, I am, and this is the last one. Uh, but this final I am statement is unique in that it's the only one in which Jesus Christ 
makes the Father, God the Father, a clear part of the picture that he is painting for his disciples, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener or the vine dresser. Whenever you hear me say one or other of those words, whether gardener or vine dresser, you got to know that I'm talking about God the Father. The world is his vineyard. He created all mankind. He put it all together, and when he created it, it was good. But we messed it up. But thank God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank God for Jesus. And so one of the first things I want us to look at this morning in a closer way is that God is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. A vine and a vineyard need someone to care for them. Jesus says that that is the role of the Father. In fact, God is the farmer who grows, who, who works the land. God is the one who owns and operates the land. God is the one who cultivates the vineyard. God is the one who cares for the vine. I believe that Jesus describes the Father this way to teach us at least two lessons. The first lesson this morning that I want you to get that is that it is God's goal to produce fruit in our lives. That's his mission. That's his goal. As the, as the vine dresser, as the gardener, it is his goal to produce fruit in your life. As the vine dresser, God's plan and purpose for your life is to make you fruitful for his glory. John 15, 8 says that we glorify God by bearing much fruit. Colossians 1:10 says that bearing fruit pleases God. But check out again how John 15 speaks of fruit. Beginning at verse 2, Jesus tells us what God does with the branch that does not bear fruit. He takes it away by cutting it off. Man, I, I, I meditated on that, and it's, that's a scary thought. Some of us, we read over, and we're like, oh, okay, he cuts it off. No, no, that, this is serious. This is serious. If you don't bear fruit, he'll cut you off. He takes it away by cutting it off. Then it tells us that what God does with the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it might bear more fruit. And this is where I talked about a little bit of the revelation that we need to get this morning. I don't want you to miss the progression of the text. See, God wants to move his people from bearing no fruit to bearing fruit to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit. There's a progression in the scripture. It's not there by accident. Going from bearing no fruit to bearing fruit to bearing more fruit, to bearing much fruit. This is exactly how Jesus Christ becomes the center of your life. See, God's goal for your life is that you will bear actual, added, abundant, and abiding fruit for his glory. And so God the gardener is working to make our lives fruitful for him by uniting us closer to the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. The closer you draw to Jesus, the more fruit you're going to bear. The closer you, if you're having trouble bearing fruit, I'm telling you right now, I don't want to be the mean guy. I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to put a, a guilt trip on you. If you are stuck in a rut and you are not bearing fruit, I dare say you are far from Jesus this morning. God help us. God help me. We cannot do anything to produce fruit in our own lives. Again, without Christ, we can do nothing of eternal value. Therefore, fruitfulness is what God does in us because of our union to Christ. 
Our lives are fruitful for God only as we let Jesus live in us. We talked about surrender during worship. Man, that is the key. If I could give you one word for 2023, surrender, 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 surrender. The more you surrender, the more you will receive from glory. The more you surrender, the more breakthrough you'll experience. Get out of that rut. Get out of that place you've been in the past. You don't have to be stuck there. Surrender. We need to be connected with the vine. Listen to this. It is, it is the will of God. You can't miss this. It is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God so that the children of God may look like the Son of God. I want to say that again. It is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God so that the children of God may look like the Son of God. This is what Jesus, becoming the center of your life, looks like. You start to look and behave like Jesus. And people that knew you when your life was a wreck, they can't even recognize you because you just look so much like your Jesus. You talk so much like your Jesus. You act so much like your Jesus. And listen, in those moments, you're going to be surprised at yourself because things are going to come out of your mouth that you never thought were going to come out. I forgive you for that thing you did. I look past that. I offer you grace when you didn't. We can get past this. Things you never thought you'd be able to say because you're surrendering, because you've decided, I want Jesus this year. I've played religion. I want Jesus. This year. I want more than just church. I want more than just attending services. I need Jesus. Ultimately, God's main purpose is not to make me a better preacher or a gifted pastor. His purpose is not to make you a better mom or a... Did somebody tape these tissues together? <laughs> I wish you could have seen what I saw. It felt like they were all going to come out. I was going to keep going like a clown. I'm sorry. Listen, God's ultimate purpose is not to make me a better preacher or a gifted pastor. His purpose is not to make you a better mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. Wait on. Hold on. I know some of you are like, oh, where's he going with this? His purpose is not to transform you into the world's best secretary, the world's best teacher or manager or cop or brain surgeon or whatever you may do for a living. See, those things are good. Good. And if you're connected to the vine, they will supernaturally happen. You'll become good at what you're doing. You'll become good at what God has given you to do. That's that kind of residual. That's kind of on the outskirts of things. Ultimately, God is bending his purpose and his will for one purpose. To shape you and me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He may be pleased to help you become a better mom a doctor, a basketball player, a church worker, but that's not his ultimate concern. His great objective for your life, the reason God has left you on planet earth this morning is to make you more and more like Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus Christ, he will help you to produce the fruit that you need to produce in your life. That's the first lesson. It's God's goal to produce fruit in your life. 
The second lesson teaches that God is an expert. Say expert. God is an expert at producing fruit from our lives. God is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. How does he do it? He's so good at growing fruit. First, God plants us. He plants us. Acts 17, 26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That is a deep verse. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, God, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God knew when you were going to exist. He was going to bring you into creation. God knew where you were going to live. God knew the sphere of influence you were going to have. He worked that all out. God planted us. He plants us. God even plants us where he knows we will grow best. It's not always easy to understand why God plants us where he plants us. I don't want you to miss some of this this morning. Quite honestly, we often don't like the circumstances and, and the situations that God plants us in. We complain. Sometimes we find ourselves even asking, Father, what are you doing in my life? Why have you put me in this situation? I've got some good news for you today. Hello? God knows what he's doing. He has planted you where he knows that you can grow best. Oh, Pastor Freddie, that doesn't make it feel any better. I don't like it. I don't like it. See, God, the gardener, the vine dresser, he knows what he is doing. He plants us where he knows we can grow best. Let me put it another way. Even though God is the heavenly dresser, gardener, God still uses fertilizer. I want you to think about that this morning. Some of you chicken people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly. I lived at a place and they, uh, a rental, and they came and told us we're going to be spraying the fields with some fertilizer. That was an awful hot July. <laughs> awful, awful, awful. You do know what fertilizer is, right? It, it stinks. Smells bad. It's nasty. It's necessary for growth. See, without fat fertilizer, without hard times, without painful experiences, without difficult relationships, we won't grow. I want you to know that the gardener knows exactly what he's doing when he plants you, where he plants you. Remember, he's an expert, and you don't know everything. Secondly, God prunes us. Oh, boy, this is getting tougher, Pastor. God prunes us. Say prunes us. He cleanses us. He cuts back and he cuts off leaves that prevent us from growing sweet, 
beautiful fruit. In fact, pruning is absolutely essential. Pruning is unavoidable. Pruning, pruning might even hurt, but in the painful pruning process, God knows what he's doing to help you grow so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of your life. Listen, believe it or not, I have an avocado tree growing in my living room right now. I was going to take pictures so you could see it is like as big and as tall as this, this room right now. I believe it started out as a pit that my son, my son, by the way, Caleb, he loves avocados, so, so we always had pits. But one day he took that pit and I believe he gave it to Jordan. Is that, is that right? He gave that pit to Jordan and uh, uh, Jordan Hunter and Jordan decided to help that pit to grow. It took years. We forgot about the pit. I know Caleb did. But when we just built the home that we moved into about a year ago, he delivered it and he told us the story from pit or seed to the tree. All right. Listen, I'm Puerto Rican. In my house, we always had a pit in some water trying to grow some roots. And uh, I saw some roots and things. I saw some little things. I never saw an avocado tree this big. And it's in my living room right now. Now I got to post pictures, right? immediately check it out because my wife we will say we we you know as people say you got you got a green thumb we, had, we we're like we got a black thumb we're gonna kill this thing <laughs> immediately it started to get brown leaves and every day they started to fall off and our little puppy kept bringing us leaves and and it, we we learned that this avocado tree th that this is part of the process it goes through different seasons not only that it, it, it listen we're in North, we're in New England uh, avocado trees aren't supposed to grow in New England but they're growing in my house uh, uh, bring a t-shirt if you're coming to my house it might be a little warm <laughs> that tree's growing like crazy by that big picture window it's getting all kinds of light the branches started growing out of control. So I had to take it. I looked it up. I was like, there's got to be something. I had one, one branch that was like eight feet tall that way, another one that was this way. And for a while, it was starting to do this. We have a, the dog crate right there by the window. And, and uh, uh, you know, initially, you know, letting my wife know I have to prune that thing, she got upset. She got upset. She was like, we're already killing it. You're just going to put the, the finishing touches on it. And so the first thing I did was I staked it. So I had to bend that tree back, and I was almost praying, God, don't let it break. If it, if it breaks, it's all on me. I'm going to kill this tree right now. It's like a, like a I don't know, five-foot stake. I staked right into it, got it all tied up, and it, it, it looks good that way. But I had to cut that branch, that eight-foot branch that was growing over top of the uh, – my, my dog would get in the, in, the, in the kennel, in the crate, and he'd be like – why is there a branch over my kennel? I, the leaves are right there. I want to chew them off. And in time, listen, in time and with care, that avocado tree straightened up and the new, new growth that is happening after I cut off that branch would not have happened without the pruning. Is God doing some pruning in your life? Do you see it happening in the life of someone that you're trying to reach? Remember, God is the vine dresser. He's the master gardener. His goal is to produce fruit in your life. He's an expert. You got to let him plant and you got to let him prune you. Our text, Jesus pictures uh, our relationship with him to be like the union between the vine and the branch. 
He says, I am the true grapevine. And so God is the, God is the vine dresser, gardener. Jesus is the true vine. When, when Jesus gives himself this title, he's basically saying two things about himself. Jesus is at the center of the gardener's plan. Aren't you glad that Jesus is at the center of the plan? See, when Jesus called himself the true vine, his disciples would have definitely and immediately associated his statement with Israel. Here's the catch. In the Old Testament, it often speaks of Israel as a vine or a vineyard. The image virtually always has a negative connotation to it. The nation as a useless vineyard that bore no fruit or a vine that produced sour grapes. Israel was the vine that failed to produce good fruit. In stark contrast to Israel's failure to bear fruit, Jesus claims, I am the true vine. It's like he's saying, I, only I am the true vine. One author said, Jesus, is, Jesus alone is heaven's wonder, hell's worry, and humanity's way out of sin, death, and judgment. Only Jesus can say, I am the true, real vine, the genuine vine, the dependable vine, the true vine. So number one, Jesus is at the center of the gardener's plans. Number two, Jesus is the source of the branch's power. A little mouse, listen, a little mouse was crossing a bridge. I'm almost over, please hang in there. A little mouse was crossing a bridge over a very deep ravine alongside an elephant. And as they crossed the bridge, it shook under the weight of the elephant. But when they got to the other side, the mouse looked uh, at his huge companion and said, really cute, boy, we really shook the bridge, didn't we? That's how it feels when we walk with God. We're like a mouse that has the strength of an elephant. So much so that after crossing life's troubled waters, we are tempted to say like the mouse, God, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? We can't lose sight of the true source of our spiritual power. Our lives are fruitful. Our lives are productive. Our lives are God-honoring, not because of us, because of Christ alone. Jesus at the center and the source of our power. Without Christ, we are failures. Without Christ, we are not fruitful. But when we receive Jesus as, our, as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, everything changes. Worship team, start making your way back up. Listen, spiritual fruit will not grow overnight. A process of producing fruit takes time. It doesn't happen instantly. But if you hang in there with the process, you will see the Lord transform your life from barrenness to fruitfulness. Jesus will transform your heart. He will renew your mind. He will revive your soul. He will sanctify your ways. He will cleanse your hands. He will change your attitude. He will alter your lifestyle. And when He does, make sure you recognize that those changes are happening in your life because of Christ and Christ alone. He's the true vine. God is the vine dresser. But remember, last thing I want to talk on, you are just a branch. You are just a branch. Our mission statement says that we exist to lead people where? To the cross. So that who becomes the center of their lives? Listen, the cross is the point. Jesus is at the center. And we, you and I, get to be the branch. 
we get to be servants of God. We get to be the ones he's created to lead. Max Lucado wrote, blessed is the man who knows that there is only one God and stops applying for the position. It means that if we're going to live fruitful lives with Jesus at the center, we need to stop trying to be the gardener. We got to stop trying to be the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. John 15, 5, Jesus said, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, if I want to be a godly husband, and I most definitely want to, without God's enabling help, I can't do it. If I want to be a God-pleasing father, and I do with all my heart, without the Lord's help, it just won't happen. If I want to be a Christ-like pastor and a faithful preacher, and Lord knows I do, without Christ working in me, you are looking at an empty vessel that just can't get it done. The same is true for you. The spiritual fruit that the Lord is calling you to bear, you can't do that alone. You can do nothing without Christ. Flip the record over and play the other side though. With Christ, all things are possible. Christ is the true vine. We are the branches we must remember that the fruit is not produced, that, that the fruit is produced in us, not by us. The true vine is the one who actually produces the fruit. All the branch does is hold on to the vine, and if you're holding on to the vine, you're going to produce that fruit. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. And as we begin to see fruit in people's lives, we'll know that we're getting the mission done because it is mission possible. Stand to your feet. The mission is possible. Answer the call and obey today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. <coughs> we thank you for what you're doing by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the message that you've given us today. There's been a lot that we can chew on today, a lot that we can work on, but we know, Lord, that as we surrender, as we surrender, as we surrender, we're going to see you do great and mighty things. Great and mighty things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's close in some worship.